0: Thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 68. Today's poem is Whisk by Anna Scotty. I found it in the August 24th, 2020 edition of the New Yorker magazine. Like both letter and boy, I've been waiting on this one. Well, the other two I held back until the back half of the year because I thought the complexity demanded a bit more practice with poetry before students explored them. Whisk was safe for later because after asking students to practice quoting line breaks and stanza breaks, I wanted to switch things up with something that doesn't have any. That's right, today's poem doesn't have any line breaks. It seems like a defining feature of poetry, what kind of poem doesn't have line breaks? But before we can explore our next poem, we must revisit the previous one that students explored. Boy, it is read by me this time. Boy by Annalise Gelman. He found himself kneeling in mud and asked the river for forgiveness. The river punished him with silence. His whole life it had consumed him the fear of doing it wrong, and now... He walked among the trees like a gallery, uncertain where to start. Afraid of looking at them wrong or in the wrong order, his... Whole life, even the streamlets, the streamlets that shied from him like mice. He, to be. In the clearing, the dew evaporates. The grass looks dull, dutiful. One by one, the components of feeling slide around his body without touching his body. His body is a snow globe, his thoughts, snow. In him, on him, falls the snow. He is buried. Utterly, like the sea is buried by rain. A number of students wrote about what I think makes a lot of sense when we have a poem focused on a young person, or at least seemingly so, and that is a sense of confusion. And I'm going to start with a pretty lengthy response by a student that I think introduces this well. The student writes, The poem, Boy by Annelise Gelman is about the confusion in a young boy's life, which is shown by the repetition of the idea of water. Water is a big idea of the poem. It shows up several times through the use of words such as river, rain, and the sea. Water can often be seen as confusing because it is constantly moving, rushing, and falling. For example, dew evaporates, showing that even when water stands still in the form of dew, it is also moving away. Another thing that shows how water represents the confusion in the boy's life is how he feels that he is buried utterly, like the sea is buried by rain. And I think this is a great place of opening, first of all, a wonderful analysis of how water can be a complex object in literature uh, and, and have rich symbolism. Another writes that in the poem Boy by Annalise Gelman, The author uses a third-person perspective and the purposeful redaction of details within the text to convey a boy's distressed feelings towards himself and the world. The student then goes on to say that the author purposely redacts some details of the poem, saying the boy blank to be blank in his journey through the woods. This line is significant as it shows that the boy is unmindful of his actions and thus they are unclear even... From a third person perspective, which is very interesting. To start with some great use of symbol and then to note how a third person perspective and omission is creating meaning is wonderful. Another writes that this element where he has this blank of action and this blank of being, a student writes that this shows his inability to form the thoughts that he has. He can't make them coherent, essentially. Not everyone was convinced that this poem was about an actual boy. Some thought it was about an adult or someone who is becoming an adult. One response says that the boy had a fear his whole life of doing it wrong, and now he walked among the trees. He walked among the adults, which in this case is referenced as trees. The student says this is similar to being buried under snow. These are metaphors for the difficulty of growing up. Another writes... He found himself kneeling in the mud, and I interpreted this as something both a child and an adult would do, one doing it for fun, enjoying their childhood, and the other seeking penance, regretting things they did or didn't do in their childhood. This student continues, writing that a story about the regrets of man and how he feels like he is being punished like a child, Ask the River for Forgiveness, for example, indicates that the person in the poem is seeking penance for a misdeed, like how a youth apologizes to his parents for breaking a vase when they were playing in the living room. Side note, I love this as an example of penance. It's so simple and straightforward, but very, very relatable. Lovely. Another writes that the boy, now grown up, was afraid of looking at them wrong or in the wrong order. This shows us, the readers, that the boy's childhood negatively impacted his life and how his past choices consume him. Further, the boy finds it hard to push those choices away, look to the future, and live a fulfilling life. One more along this line goes to the extremity of life, towards old age and death. A a student writes uh, about how the poem seems to be about old age and maybe death as a result of this repetition of his whole life in the poem that also seems connected maybe to he is buried. The student writes that there is a paradox here. Old age has been portrayed in many instances, but the poem's title is Boy. The senility of old age causes old men to act as immature as boys. And then the student goes on to suggest that even the old may feel they need guidance. Now, I bristle a little bit at the comment about senility, a word that by itself just means aging and showing the signs of aging, but is kind of informally understood to mean the deterioration of someone's cognitive faculties, their ability to be independent and thoughtful. And I don't think this poem supports that idea specifically, but I love the idea that this poem is pointing to the possibility that even adults need guidance, need maybe companionship to help lead them, need mentors to help offer them a manner of engaging with the world that can be pretty complex. This is a great idea. We have a tendency to think that only young people need these kind of figures, and I I don't believe that at all. I have mentors myself that are essential. Besides the question of age, the emotional experience of the speaker is kind of the very center of student analysis here. One writes that his whole life, even the streamlets, the streamlets had shied from him like mice, is saying that he does not have the emotions or feel the emotions of his sadness because of how numb he is. And this idea that the speaker's struggling to feel and understand his emotions comes up frequently. Another writes that Gelman continues to express the loss of connection to the outside world with the line without touching his body. This line shows that with all the loss, he feels no physical connection to the world anymore. Another writes that he is consumed by snow. To add on to that, there's a line break in thoughts and then break, snow. It creates a feeling that everything going on in his head is snow. And it, it reminds me of the TV that has no signal, so it shows a screen of snow with nothing going except blank noise. Side note, great idea. Uh, using that common image of TV snow, that staticky image and sound, it's a great way of understanding, I think, this emotional experience. Another student writes it. In the line around his body without touching his body. The syntax of the sentence, by secluding the word body in a new stanza, represents the divide between body and mind, and a child attempting to conquer their emotions. The message connects back to the lack of control, as his mind, made up of emotions and thoughts that he can't feel with, see, touch, hear, nor smell, it separates these from his body. And this emotional control was pretty widely explored. Another writes, that in the poem, Boy, by Annalise Gelman, the author conveys a feeling of being shut in or even imprisoned in one's own mind. Another builds on that, saying that having a body like a snow globe, the narrator saying that the boy is unable to control his thoughts, in him, on him, falls the snow, explains how the intensity of the boy's feelings are like a blizzard piling up into something you can only sink into. Another student pointed to some of the figurative language being used, like the similes, like a gallery, or a metaphor, a snow globe, they're really common in the poem, and as a result, they amplify the intensity of the speaker's fear and this feeling of being overwhelmed. We also have a comment that in the end, the author describes that this boy's thoughts, snow, using a metaphor of him being buried in the snow, It implies that this is heavily weighted. It's weighting on his own internal feelings. Now, not everyone was specific about which feelings were present, but one that came up frequently was anxiety. A student commented that there's this constant presence of water, and it shows a complex relationship with water. And they thought that maybe the water represented anxiety. It's something that can be punishing, it can go away by evaporating, and it can return to drown him. Despite seeming like a small thing, this rain, it can feel bigger than a sea. Another writes that repeating his whole life adds intensity to the poem. It's his struggles with anxiety and worries throughout his lost youth. Another notes that the use of the word punished implies that the river or his anxiety has the power to punish him, meaning that the boy feels overpowered by his anxiety. Now, because anxiety showed up so frequently, students were interested in trying to identify its source. One wrote that, and asked the river for forgiveness, the river punished him with silence, suggests a sense of abandonment or the silent treatment, as though maybe there's an individual or individuals responsible for this anxiety. But the other more likely possibility to students is that this is a self-imposed anxiety, at least a little bit, because many students connected it with a requirement or a hunt for perfection, which is usually a goal we set for ourselves. One writes, The youth is scared to make another mistake, the fear of doing it wrong, and now he walked among the trees like a gallery uncertain where to start. The stress and pressure continue to build up in him, on him, falls of snow. All this unnecessary pressure and stress to not make a mistake can destroy someone. Hence, at the end of the poem, the boy is buried. Another writes that the fear of doing it wrong consumed him, and the boy never tried to do anything new because he was afraid to fail. And his sheltered life made it so that he never did anything outside the ordinary, which he came to regret later on. One response noted that when he was looking at the nature of the woods, he fails to properly admire it because of this, his fear of doing it wrong. In a response that I'm going to quote at length, a student writes, In the poem Boy, Annalise Gellman uses metaphors about nature to convey the idea that you shouldn't spend your youth trying to please others, as it may not change anything. Throughout the poem, certain lines, such as his whole life it had consumed him, the fear of doing it wrong, imply that the speaker tries to please the blank included in the poem. However, it is shown at the end of the poem that the efforts were in vain, as is demonstrated by the melancholy descriptions and the slow fade out in he is buried utterly, like the sea is buried by rain. Finally, a student writes, when the author says, in him, on him falls the snow, the snow represents his imperfections. The snow falls on him even though he tries to live a perfect life, showing readers that there is no possible way To live a completely perfect life. All of this is lovely. I think students have really captured a lot of different aspects of this poem. The fact that the students identified ways in which this speaker can be a young person or an older person, I think speaks to how universal feelings of anxiety, of struggling to understand your own internal experience, about feeling the need to be better is universal regardless of age. We tend to associate a lot of those things with the uncertainty of being a young person or not having experienced enough to really feel like we have mastered ourselves. But I think it's personally reasonable. But I think it is entirely reasonable that no matter how old we are, we can be vulnerable to those feelings. Wonderful work. Our next poem is Whisk by Anna Scotti. The reason this poem is missing line breaks is that it is a particular genre of poem called prose poetry. This seems like an oxymoron. In class, we define prose as writing in sentences and paragraphs that is not intended to be poetic, so how can this define a poem? The simple answer is that an artist, sufficiently capable in their craft, can decide that anything is an example of the art form they have expertise in. The more honest answer, though, is that poetry's essential element, like the paint on an artist's brush or the individual note on a composer's page, is the word. So long as words are involved, or even just letters that create sound or meaning, the material can become poetic through word choice and their arrangement. I hope that as you listen to and read Whisk, you'll see that the writing isn't purely narrative or expository, it uses words efficiently to capture both simple and complex emotional experiences. The poem itself presents moments that are likely familiar to many students, like talking to family, imitating their behaviors, and, and doing everyday things like chores. Ordinary actions like these can be extraordinarily intimate, and sometimes the simplicity of what we are doing allows our minds to wander into bigger and sometimes scarier topics, like loss, and remembering, and appreciation. But there are also ideas here that are easy to take for granted when we get the opportunity to luxuriate in them, like comfort, and an easy conversation. WISC should hopefully give students a chance to focus on the literal a bit more than our previous two did while those poems lended themselves to interpreting and questioning the very reality of the speaker's experience. Here our speaker is quite grounded in place and time. There's still plenty of imagery to explore, but there's less that is figurative here. That isn't to say there aren't a couple similes in here, they are just more literal in their comparisons. Personally, I'm intensely interested in the structure of the sentences here. There are some long sentences compounded by punctuation and even some short ones, dense with places to pause. Since we have talked about semicolons, students could explore how two sides of one create implied meaning. Maybe those italics will be explored, and why is the final action of the poem so simple? So ordinary? Or maybe students will explore some of the big emotional ideas here. I'm eager to find out. Our writing task for this week once again involves quotations, but... I do not have any new punctuation for you to master. In fact, we'll be revisiting a skill we've practiced a number of times before. What I want is for students to include short quotations in their sentences. But the specific task is to include two quotations in a single sentence with commentary. Your quotations are going to need to be pretty short for this. Maybe quoting just words or phrases. The key, though... Is to ensure that the sentence that includes two quotations is saying something interesting about them both, possibly about an idea that both pieces of evidence are working together to support. We have a pretty straightforward passphrase again this week. I want you to use the word connect. This one has a lot of flexibility, as you can also use a variety of different forms, including past or future tense as a noun, connection, or even its opposite, disconnect. Here is whisk. By poet Anna Scotty. It is read by a friend and the wife of a choral teacher, Angela South.
1: Whisk. By Anna Scotty. I told my grandmother I am afraid, and she made that little wave, each plump finger brushing away my worries, just the way she brushed crumbs from around the toaster tray, the way she swept the dog's dry tracks from the trailer floor, Oh no, it's not so bad here, she said, but I am afraid that when I'm gone, no one will remember her, her dimpled knuckles, the way her mouth turned down at the corners in a sweet prim frown, no one will put flowers on her grave, even I don't do that now, but what I mean is, no one will intend to. I told my mother I'm afraid she'll die alone, and she laughed out loud. Let's hope that's the worst thing coming. I looked down at my own hands, knotted in the dog's fur, and saw that they are like my father's, blue-veined and broad, and I stroked my hair, my cheek, with the hand that is most like his, until the dog struggled to get down until the kettle whistled. Then I sat alone at the kitchen table and stirred a cup of tea.
0: A paragraph responding to this prompt is due on the Friday that ends this week, and your two replies to other students are due the Wednesday after. Students, be sure to use the word connect in some form in your responses, as this is your secret passphrase. We definitely have a first-person narrator here, so use the speaker to describe them. The poet is not necessarily this person speaking. That's why we need it. For our writing task, use two quotations in the same sentence. Keep those quotes as short as possible so that the sentence can be read smoothly. Remember, you should be able to remove the quotation marks and have the sentence feel smooth and coherent. Oh, and be sure to use the quotes accurately. If it's originally capitalized in the poem, keep it capitalized. This includes the title, Whisk. Don't forget to make use of our previous writing tasks for writing quality. Include a claim with a clear what and how. Provide a basic summary before you start exploring evidence. Use the poet's last name by itself once you've used their full name. And consider the variety of your sentence openings. It may help to use brackets, by the way, when trying to integrate two quotations into the same sentence, and don't worry about marking line breaks, of course. You won't need any single or double slashes here. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, want to provide a reading, or would like the class to direct their eyes toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on Leiden Teachers or on Twitter. I am at Teaches content of this podcast is used as companion to class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 68 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.